Do you believe in love? I've never thought about it, but yeah, yeah. I believe in the power of love. Everyone has to believe in love. Yes, I, I do believe in love. How can you not? It's what makes the world go round. I absolutely believe in love. I can't imagine a person who has never experienced love or grief. I think these are the two ties that bind the human existence, don't you? Hi, I'm Sonia Blangiardo. I'm Martha Madison. I'm Michael Maloney. I'm Shannon Coach. And I'm Amanda Kimmel. I'm Doug Prinzavalli. And I'm John Carosa. And you're entering a, a world, world gone, gone good. good. Well, hello, my name is Steve, and this is World Gone Good, the podcast where we shine the light into the darkness to prove there is still lots of good out there. If you want to show us some love, I mean, it is Valentine's week after all, please share, subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform you are currently listening to us. You can keep spreading the love on social media. Follow us on the Insta. We are at World Gone Good Podcast. And on Twitter, we are at World Gone Good One. That's World Gone Good, followed by the number one. Share the love, my friend. Share the love. That's what we are here to do today. Share the love. I have a whole group here ready to share the love. Well, their love, more specifically, and how it reflects back to a love they have of a very certain kind. And that's love in the afternoon. passion and power you make it sound like i seduced him on the terrace or something to survive the pressures of today and when people fall in love they can't help it it just happens all the romance and drama of one life to live and general hospital part of abc's love in the afternoon watch tomorrow starting at 2 1 central 12 mountain on abc that's right we are sudsing up for valentine's week my friends as we explore true love fictional love, and how they all tie together. Now, if you've listened before, you know that I got my very first Hollywood job ever where? That is right, the daytime drama General Hospital. I was an intern. Side note, my aunt in New Jersey would tell people that I was an intern at General Hospital, and then people would ask her what kind of doctor I was becoming. It was a little awkward, um, but you know they all figured it out over time, I suppose. (laughs) Soaps are viewed as entertainment and educational, and sometimes they simply are an escape from the real world, commercials included, but they are focused on one main theme, love. And so to kick things off for this love fest, I've asked my guests to start at the very beginning. remember your first love oh god yes (laughs) (laughs) oh awesome oh god yes i was madly in love uh and this was my first love my first everything and it lasted a long time it was my entire high school and almost all of college i thought i was gonna marry this guy and um you know, my mother, <laughs> my mother threatened to kill him on many occasions. She said, yeah, you can marry him, but he won't make it to the altar. <laughs> I can guarantee <laughs> that. She was not into him at all. Um, 
And she turns out she was right. He had been, uh, you know, philandering and sleeping around with my friends. <laughs> so uh, once I learned about that, um, I learned that not all love is healthy. My first love was Santa Claus. I was like, wow, there is a man who can come to my house and bring me things once a year and I don't have to do shit. I mean, he doesn't know if I'm good or bad or whatever, but I loved him unconditionally. Oh my God, that's so great. This is a Valentine's Day show, but I fucking love that we went to Christmas. <laughs> my first love, his name was, oh gosh, Peter Scabara. In first grade, I have no idea what he's even up to. St. Simon and Jude, because then I moved away when, in sixth grade. So it was a six-year crush that went very unrequited. <laughs> he told me we were playing some, like, um, so, like you're supposed to freeze or something in action, and his face was very close to mine. He goes, ew, you have freckles. <laughs> and that was the extent of our love connection. <laughs> My first real love was a guy I dated within the first year of coming out. He wasn't my first boyfriend, but he was the first person that I ever said, I love you too. And, uh, and he did not say it back. <laughs> so from that moment, I vowed, okay, I'm never going to be the first one to say it again. And, uh, and I never was the first person to say it again. Luckily, soon after that, uh, somebody came along that, uh, that told me he loved me, and uh, the rest is history. I seem to remember there was a little boy named Jonathan in kindergarten that I had a massive crush on. And are you married now? I am. Okay, so if Jonathan did hear this... Too late. Well, maybe not, because we are talking about daytime dramas. Okay, Amanda. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. Um, If we're going that far back, his name was George, and he was in my third grade, and he gave me a turquoise ring for Christmas the one year. Oh. Wow. Where did he get a turquoise ring from? I don't don't know. His family had money, so he probably got it from all missed opportunities now. (laughs) um... So you've probably heard of Luke and Laura, Bo and Hope, Erica, and insert any number of husbands' names here. What, she have like nine or ten husbands, I think? But have you heard of another super couple by the names of John and Doug? No? Well, buckle up, because this is their love story, and it's all thanks to a place called Bay City. When Doug and I met, uh, it was at a party being thrown by a mutual friend. And uh, he was there with his boyfriend at the time, and I was stag. And coincidentally, the friend whose house we were at at the party um, had crushes on both of us. So it was it already was a nice little soap opera situation. And uh, we were hanging out at this party, and uh, people were pretty obnoxious. Uh, so Doug and I both ended up in this uh, side room at the party where there was a TV. And the TV happened to be on. And a promo came on for Days of Our Lives. She thought she had the perfect mother. She thought her parents had the perfect marriage. But what she saw one night shattered it all. I saw Mom and John having an affair. Sins of a Mother, Secrets of a Daughter, only on Days of Our Lives, NBC Daytime. I'd like to know why you've been so cold to me lately. This is getting good. And I think I said, oh, that's cool. I actually watched that show. 
And Doug said something like, oh, yeah, I watch it, too. And I said, but it's not my favorite soap. My favorite soap is actually Another World. And if life were a movie, that would be the moment where the camera sort of goes right in close on Doug's face. And the, uh, you know, the, the aha music starts playing. And that's when he realized, oh, my God, there's somebody here that I can probably relate to better than anybody else. The funny thing is, like at that time, you know, I knew people who watched soap operas, but no one watched Another World. That was the thing. People watched General Hospital because it was really cool. All my children, you know, One Life to Live even. Um, But no one watched the NBC soaps that I knew except my mother. So that was like the one thing like my mother and I could talk about, you know, we couldn't talk about politics or religion or sex or anything like that, but we could talk about another world. And um, so to find somebody else in the world who was a fan of that show was very special to me. What is it about another world? What was it about another world? Well, like most people, uh, you I ended up watching the soaps that my mother and grandmother watched. Right. Because I was hanging around them afternoon after school and, you know, it was it, their stories were interesting and the characters were great and the boys were super cute. So I just watched whatever my mom and grandma watched and they were NBC viewers. So at the time, I even was watching like the doctors in the late 70s uh, when I was still like middle school age. Um, Search for Tomorrow, Days, Another World. I eventually Santa Barbara when I was in high school. So yeah, that that family connection, because then when you're watching it, you can say, you can say, Ma, who's this? Oh, you know, that's, you know, that's Stefano Demera. He's the gangster. He's the bad guy. Oh, and who's this other person? Oh, that's Don Craig. He was married to Marlena, but they just lost a baby. Like, so I would go, oh, okay, got it. I, I know who these people are. Similar story, except for some reason, my mother and grandmother um, hopped networks for their shows. Oh. So they both watched All My Children, which they referred to as, um, what did they call it? Um, Erica. Uh, yeah, they called it Erica. <laughs> <laughs> then they would um, switch over to Another World, which was The Story. So they were either watching Erica or The Story. So um, I usually got home from school in time to join in to watch the story with them. Um, And then, um, yes, so I guess at some point I decided to tune in early, maybe during the summer, and I discovered days. So then, you know, the days, another world, back-to-back tandem, you know, from one o'clock to three o'clock was... uh, A great thing at that time. The the Another World story that really hooked me and the first like total storyline I can remember being aware of was when uh, Janice and Mitch were trying to break up Mac and Rachel and there was this whole adventure in the Virgin Islands. And I thought, wow, this show is glamorous. <laughs> the first thing I remember was um, there was a murder. Uh, there had something to do with the servants who worked for, for the Corries. There was something involving Louise, who was the maid, and Brooks, who was the butler. And there, there was some, and Jamie and Dennis Wheeler 
were like the teens on the show and they found a body floating in the river or something like that. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. And that's what got me hooked. Amanda and I talk about this a lot because it's what got you hooked. Hers was Karen and Jagger. I loved them. Mine was Lucky and Liz. Shannon and Amanda are two busy moms who one day discovered they both enjoyed the happenings in Port Charles, the fictional city where GH inhabitants find love, get amnesia, come back from the dead, you know, regular everyday stuff. That's what we all deal with. They loved it so much, they launched their own podcast, which doesn't just celebrate their love of the show, it also celebrates their love of friendship. Is it entertainment for you? Or is there a connection? I interviewed my friends John and Doug, who literally met at a party, literally did both discovered their favorite show in the world was Another World. One of them broke up with his boyfriend, and they have been together ever since. And they credit the soap opera Another World for like bringing them together. And they are not embarrassed to say it. We can love football teams. We can love baseball teams. We can love ice skaters. We can love tennis players. We can love celebrities. So why can't we be in love with a soap opera? I mean, that's how Amanda and I became friends because she overheard me say something about General Hospital. And I mean, we already knew each other and were friendly towards each other and everything, but that was like the, the next breaker. level. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That took and us from more than acquaintances to actual friends. Yeah. And I mean, so I actually met my husband online and one of the reasons why I chose him, which I remind him, um, <laughs> when I'm mad at him, I'm like, uh-huh, I picked you. But um, he was wearing a Beatles shirt in one of the pictures. And I'm also a huge Beatles fan. And our first date, we just sat there talking about the Beatles. And then we discovered like all these insane things that we have in common and, you know, kind of liked him. We've been together for almost 13 years now. So, but if it hadn't been for something as simple as him wearing a hard day's night on his shirt, I don't know if I would have, I mean, he's, he's a cutie. Well, there's that. There's that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, all right, he's cute. And he's wearing a Beatles shirt, you know, tap, 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 tap. Well, yeah. So music was a great connector for you. And a show called General Hospital is a great connector for you too. Where did you guys first meet as friends? Girl Scouts. Our daughters were in the same Girl Scout troop. And why General Hospital? It's the only soap that I have ever watched. Um, it was one that a girl that I was friends with, I would we would walk home from the bus together and her mom would be watching it. So I'd get like the last 15 minutes of it. Then over the summer, we watched it. My mom had watched it when she was younger. And um, I found out later that my Grammy was a huge General Hospital fan. And um, as I became an adult, I was able to have great conversations with her too. So why you? I know you. Yeah, it was just a lifelong kind of, it was in the house all the time. My mom watched it. She watched all three, um, all my children, One Life to Live and General Hospital. But through the years, you just don't have the time to sit and watch all of them every day. And GH held my most interest because it had the best teen storylines when I was a teen. I think the thing that surprises us the most is when people go, you still watch that? I'm like, is there an age that we're supposed to stop watching soap operas? Right. 
Amanda, I'm going to start with you. Do you have a favorite love story from the show of all time? My favorite favorite was Jagger and Karen. I loved them. Karen was like the good girl who had high expectations put on her. And then there was just other stuff that had gone on in her life that made it hard to be the good girl. And Jagger kind of came in and saved her and showed her that he could love all the different parts of her. And I was like 15. So just starting with the love stuff. And so that was kind of like a good example for me, or I felt like it at the time of, again, you have to be willing to go through everything for someone. Karen was poor and we knew Karen was poor because um, at her apartment, small apartment she had with her mother, a small home, they Uh had a, they had a lamp and the lampshade was slightly askew. And there was always like a shirt over a lamp Mm. to symbolize that's a poor person. If you've ever been to a poor person's home, they always have a lampshade that's slightly askew with like a white (laughs) shirt over it. That's the universal sign. I am poor. Here you go. Oh, you must be poor. (laughs) And I mean, you you didn't have to say anything more than Antonio Sabato and anyone listening would be like, oh, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Uh, Yes, that's very true. I have the poster, the calendar. Oh, yeah. The shirtless black vest. Mm. Yep. Yes. There was a lot of um, high-waisted jeans and white V-neck t-shirts going on at the time, if I remember. That was the 90s. Mm -hmm. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. (laughs) <laughs> Shannon, what for you was there? Is there a single couple, single storyline, single favorite love story? Amanda and I talk about this a lot because it's what got you hooked. Hers was Karen and Jagger. Mine was Lucky and Liz. I think it's because you know I was the same age, and they both came from complex family situations, but were able to find each other and be comforted, comforted in each other, and. They brought out the best in each other and supported each other no matter what, when they didn't have that necessarily at home. Okay, let's talk about Pier 54 here. Why is it called Pier 54? Because that is where all the secret conversations take place and people go and have their little gossip sessions. All the interesting things tend to happen on the pier. Not all the interesting things, but the secret things that they don't want everyone else to know. Yes. You can find us on all major platforms. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, iHeartRadio, Pandora, anything that you can pretty much listen to podcasts on, you can. And we have a website, pure54podcast.com. There's one more really important question I wanted to explore with John and Doug and Shannon and Amanda. Do you think that love itself um, reflects back on a viewer who watches a show? Does it make it more accessible? Is it more real in their real life? Is it just fantasy? How does the word love and the feeling of love reflect back from a daytime drama? For me, it's this idea that you know the, the love on a daytime drama is so is so big uh, and you know so dramatic obviously that um it's it makes it fun to watch how love can play itself on a much bigger canvas and then you reflect it back to your own life and you say okay when i watch um you know mac and rachel and they talk about how deep their love is for each other you know when you're not in love you may not register that the same way as when you are in love and you say oh my god i know exactly that feeling and yes, 
Of course, you know, she would risk her life to save him, right? Of course, he would risk his life to save her because that's the that's what that feeling is. I think that the soaps show us the depth of love and the fact that it's not perfect. Like some shows you watch, Mm -hmm. you know, they live happily ever after all the time. Soaps show us that it's not always perfect. There's not always a happy ending. They deal with financial issues and infidelity and health crisis. And you still have to love that person through it. Yeah, because like sitcoms, it's wrapped up in 22 minutes and next issues next week and they forget about the fact that something happened three weeks ago right which i mean those are nice you know it's a nice fairy tale but i feel like soaps give you more of a reality in the way of you really do have to love someone through everything and i think that they do a good job of showing the different kinds of love and the different like levels of it so like there's a clear difference between the teenagers puppy love and you know, a more mature, like when we saw for General Hospital, you know, Edward and Lila were still so in love, but, you know, they weren't all smoochy. Well, he was still kind of smoochy on her, but there's a real intimacy that's not necessarily the intimacy that you kind of think about. Like there's a more emotional connection and everything. And they talk about the fact that they stayed together for so long and through all that stuff. As we dive deeper in, we have to wonder what it's like to actually spend our days, all puns intended, um, in and on the soaps themselves. For that, we go to some experts. Martha Madison negotiates those pesky sands through the hourglass on a daily basis. On the show, well, I'll let McDonald Carey finish this for us. Like sands through the hourglass... So are the days of our lives. You have been playing a part on Days of Our Lives on and off for over 20 years? Uh, almost 20 years. Yeah. Two, 20 next years. year will be 20 years. Yeah. Wow. No, no. 2004. Sorry. 2024 will be 20 years. Oh, my God. Wow. Now, how did that all come to be? Because you stepped into a part that somebody else was playing. How did the audition? Mm-hmm. How did it all happen? Oh my gosh. It's such a weird story. I was a huge fan of Days of Our Lives and so much so that I got a weekly subscription to Soap Digest. And I saw in Soap Digest that Kirsten Storms, who was playing the role before me, was leaving to go do a primetime show. So I immediately called my agent and I said, you have to get me in for this part. And she said, oh no, you're too old for this. Oh my (laughs) God. I said, no, I'm not send my stuff in. And she called me the next day and she said, this picture is too old and they don't want to see you. And I said, then send them a younger picture. And I sent her, you know, my, my pictures from like five years before or whatever. And she said, listen, you, you have to let these things go. And I said, I'm not going to let it go. So I emailed Fran Bascom. I got her email address from someone. I don't even remember how. And I emailed her a younger picture and a note explaining to her I could easily step into this role because I've watched it my whole life and I know I can play this part. And she said, she called me at home and she said, come in. And I said, okay. So I went in, uh, I was the, like a five o'clock on a Friday. I was the very last person to audition for this part. And my agent called me Monday and said, they want you to come in for a producer session. And I said, well, there you go. <laughs> you should listen to me more often. 
Wow. <laughs> and I went into this producer session and I blew it. <laughs> I like totally <laughs> blew it. I was too in my head. I was so nervous. I like dropped lines. I wasn't barely acting. I was shaking. I was just, I was a mess. And so I left and I said, well, maybe she was right. It wasn't meant to be. And uh, she called me at home that night and she said, they loved you <laughs> and they want you to come test. And I was like, holy crap. Oh, my God. Okay, great. So I went in and there were four of us there that day. And I learned that day that we were actually the third test group. We were probably the 20th people to test for this role. They were being really really specific um, because Kirsten's a huge star and she's got very big shoes to fill. So they were being very careful and um, they hired somebody else. And I was heartbroken, like completely crestfallen because I felt like my test was actually my best attempt at this scene. I felt like I really nailed it um, and I didn't get it. So it was a big blow. It was actually the second um, contract role on a soap that I had gotten that far with and not gotten. So I was starting to feel really insecure about my career choice. Right. Um, and uh, three weeks go by. Back in the day, they only shot three weeks ahead. And her first air date came around. And I guess, you know, she had been struggling with learning lines and sort of the pace of everything. And um, I watched her and I thought, oh, my God. I'm definitely like in the wrong line of work. I can't believe it, you know. So um, the very next day, my agent called me at home and she said, how fast can you get to the studio? They want you down at days. And I said, what? Why? And they said, she said, I don't know, but they're asking for your sizes. So I gave her my sizes. And I said, do you think they wrote like a, a walk-on part for me? Like, I, you know, I, I'll get to do you something. You blew away today. that much. They wrote you something special. Right. I thought this was like a thank you. <laughs> you know, like, here, here's two lines and we'll give you a check and thanks for your time. That's nice. Um, yeah. And so that's what I was expecting. And when I walked in, the stage manager literally grabbed me by the arm and said, you have to come with me and, and took me upstairs to the executive producer's office. It was all very like weird and scary. And he had one of those remote control clickers that shut the door. Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> so yes. I sat down in his office and he clicks the door shut and it's just us. And I was like, oh, my God, what is happening right now? And he said, so, um, you know, we we hired somebody for the role of Belle. Uh, we've decided that it's not going to work out and um, and we want you to be our Belle. And I don't want you to panic, but here's two scripts. He hands me two hundred page scripts and says, you're going to go downstairs. You're going to get your hair and makeup done. We have a um, a uh, dialogue coach in your dressing room. She's going to help you prepare. And we're going to shoot these two shows in about two hours. Don't oh panic. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, what? That's like an actor's <laughs> nightmare, right? That's what you dream. You wake right. up screaming, right? Right. So I'm like half terrified and half like, oh, my God, my life just changed in a second. Right. I'm And, and I've been saying all this time, I can totally just step into this role and play it because I've watched it for so long. And that's exactly what ended up happening. And so, yeah, that was my first day. And um, I think I called my mom after I was done shooting to tell her what had just happened. And then I called AJ and I quit my job. <laughs> I love that. that. 
Yeah. Wait a minute. So there's a couple things that I love about this story. First of all, I love the fact that you didn't even ask or negotiate how much money you were going to make or anything. They were just like, now work. And you were like, let's go. Let's do it. I don't care. It's going to be more than I was making managing a restaurant. So. I'm so impressed with you because we work together on another project and I know how good you are and I know how many, yeah. how well you work and your, your pro- I've seen your process and what you you're capable of but jesus christ that is terrifying it was terrifying (laughs) i'm still like every time i tell that story it's i can almost it's like reliving it it's it was very scary but i didn't even understand you know it was i'm one of those people and probably from a traumatic childhood but one of those people that can really calmly get through a crisis and then once it's over i just fall apart i'm a complete mess and like ptsd sets in you know i'm that person (laughs) But if you're dying on the floor and bleeding to death, I got you. I got you. Don't worry about it. Okay. This is going to sound a little crazy, but I've asked this. I asked this of a few other of the guests, so I'm going to ask you, how does daytime make love more accessible for people? And is it a real component that can transfer into people's lives? What do you think? Wow. That's kind of a, that's a very heady question. Who knew I was this deep? (laughs) I did. Oh, sweet. I think that, you know, when you look at the people who watch daytime, um, you know, typically very much like me, just kind of like an average Midwestern American, right? And, you know, when I was growing up, we don't have like big explosions and huge betrayals and like all this big stuff, right? So watching soaps is really exciting for us. And uh, I think the falling in love part, it happens so frequently (laughs) on soaps that you get to experience and, and participate in that element of falling in love. You know, those stories tend to take a long time when they're really going to pair two people together for a long time. The lead up to that's really exciting, but it lasts a long time and it happens pretty frequently in daytime. So I feel like you're always in some, as a viewer, always in some part of, you know, involved in some part of falling in love and that adds something really wonderful to your life. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's, um, I think that's what makes you know, romance in the afternoon. So appealing. (laughs) Agnes Nixon said, make them laugh, make them cry, make them wait. Yes. Make them wait. That's exactly right. How does that apply to real life? Or does it? People often get paired off in real life pretty easily or pretty quickly. I don't think that you know, movie style falling in love happens all the time, right? Like when I met my husband, I mean, I knew within a few minutes that I was going to date that guy. Like it was not a question. I, I was like, he's the one I want. And then, you know, I basically went after it and he's like, oh, sure. <laughs> and that was it. That was our dating, you know. And we've been together for almost 20 years. So I don't know that there's like all this like whining and dining and, you know, maybe uh, super romantic uh, monologues telling you about how wonderful you are and, you know, um, conquering demons together. And, you know, that all, it's just not real life. You know, real life is really about (laughs) scheduling and, you know. The boring uh, stuff. Yeah, finances and child rearing, and it's it's not as glamorous. What advice would you give Belle Brady, and what advice would Belle Brady give you? 
Oh, that's such a hard question. I hate hard questions. <laughs> Boy, I mean, I probably would have given Belle the advice years and years ago not to get uh, involved in such a serious relationship so early on in my life, right? She's been with her husband basically almost completely since she was in high school. And so I think that there's probably as would happen with two people getting together really early, there's probably a lot of um, curiosity about what else might be out there. Right. right. And she's gotten in trouble with that some. Uh, So I would probably have been like my mother and been like, over my dead body, go out and date. (laughs) Um, What advice would she give me? Well, she might give me legal advice. I don't know. She is a lawyer. She's a lawyer, lawyer. right. (laughs) She's a lawyer. <laughs> I don't think Belle's really in a position to give me advice, no. Well, it's it's interesting about the character because I know you and you are very funny. You are very dry. You are dark funny sometimes. Um, <laughs> I remember sitting next to you uh, at a table uh, playing a game after we a shoot. Playing. We had a little bit of alcohol in us. And I remember you, I said something and looked at you. And you go, it wasn't what I said. You're like, totally dry. You go, something like, did you just look at me like that? <laughs> like, like, And I was just like, and I looked at you even more crazy. And I'm like, now I'm looking at you like this. And you're like, I'm going to kill you if you don't stop looking. <laughs> but my point being, sometimes I feel soap characters need to loosen the fuck up. And yes. just a hair. Just That's a touch. it. <laughs> I I feel like Belle is a very calculated, very predictable, sometimes very uptight character. And right. while that works for her as a lawyer and, you know, this like morally centered person that people go to for advice and help, it it can make for a boring character if there's no more to her than that. And I think if you know any woman, uh, any human, most people are extremely dynamic, right? They have lots of layers and sometimes even conflicting beliefs within themselves that they don't recognize and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but I do, you know, in this last time, uh, this last period of time that I've been back on the show, they're, they're really writing Belle as a m- much more dynamic character. And I'm, I'm really, it's the most fun I've ever had on the show. So I'm excited for every, everyone to see it. It's coming. <laughs> Entertainment reporter Michael Maloney knows a thing or two about love stories. He's covered them for People Magazine, Soap Opera Digest, and presently Soap Hub. He sat down with me to offer his perspective on love, both fictional and real. So do you think... Soaps are aspirational, fantastical. What, what, how do you view them? Well, that, those are two good words. I think they're both. I do think they're aspirational. I do think they're fantastical. I, I, I you know, I attended a, a Zoom recently um, with some actors, and it was attended by um, hundreds of fans. They all had a story about how they might have met that actor or a particular actor or seen something they did on, on TV. And it really stayed with them for decades. If people see a a fictional work where they're touched by it, they're going to remember it. And they're hopefully going to try to adapt it into their real lives. 
if they have an opportunity to do so. I think we both know this quote. Agnes Nixon said, make them laugh, make them cry, make them wait. How does that apply back to real life love or does it? Well, I think it's two different things. I mean, I think people tune into soap operas to to see characters maybe who have it worse off than they do, that they see characters who have things that they do want. You know, you, you can ex- you can hope that your life is going to play out like a soap opera, but it, it might not. So then comes the question, because this is a show about good, world gone good, what is good about a soap? Oh, you know, I think there are a lot of good things about a soap. You see, it's a, it's a fantasy escape. You can see someone do something that you can uh, absorb into your own life, an act of kindness, letting someone down softly as opposed to being a jerk about it. Even if you don't understand something, it doesn't mean you have to treat another person with anything other than kindness. If it didn't work out for Luke and Laura, if it didn't work out for Bo and Hope, what chance do the rest of us have? I think one reason people watch soap operas is because they see characters grow and evolve and change. And I'm not certain that that's always the case in in um, in real life. And that is where people need to, in my humble opinion, watch these shows. I don't like to say with a grain of salt, but just with an objective eye and take the good from it. Try not to get too wrapped up in anything negative and just do your best. And for our final behind-the-scenes go-to on love expert, God, that's a lot of pressure, isn't it? We turn to Emmy Award-winning director Sonia Blanjardo. Ironically, I always wanted to work on all my children, so much so that I said that in my uh, so many times during my high school years, my friends left me that in my year in the you know my yearbook, but it was very sarcastic, like, "Yeah, Sonia's going to get her job at all my children." But then I did get the job at all my children because <laughs> I was just always soap obsessed. So I started as an intern. I worked on all my children for eleven and a half years. Went to One Life to Live. Went to As the World Turns, and then uh, a couple of more in between. And now I'm at Days of Our Lives. Tell everyone what you do at Days of Our Lives. I am a director for Days of Our Lives. So we're talking about love here. We're talking about a connection between daytime and that fantastical version of love, a gritty version of love, a real version of love at times. Do you think there's an accessibility for a viewer to experience love through watching a soap? Maybe. I I think what soaps do, and I always say this about my 20s, they give you a skewed perception of love because soaps to a lot of their credit. And the reason why I think it garnered the audience it did, you know, for decades is because it was the fantasy. So sometimes that fantasy doesn't really translate into real life, you know, like, you know, you don't have to end up in the hospital almost dead for someone to come and rescue you and and proclaim his or her undying love for you. But that's kind of what the soaps have always portrayed. And it's this fantasy So for me personally, I think soaps skewed my perception of what is realistic because that romantic notion is, is beautiful and lovely, but it it is a fantasy for some, for a valid reason. It may not be the most accurate because love, 
relationships. They're all about every day and compromise and sacrifice and, and love and understanding and patience, et cetera, et cetera. So yes and no. That's that's the that's the long-winded version of my answer. No, that wasn't even that long-winded. <laughs> that makes complete sense. How have soaps changed over the years? Specifically, how have they changed in the way they show love? I think a general rule about soaps today is that the stories just go faster. I think people's attention spans have shortened and their palettes are a little more sophisticated. So in theory, a storyline may have lasted, you know, three or four months, traditionally 20, 30 years ago, and now it may last, you know, two or three weeks. And I think that's just a sign of the times of where we're at and just that we have so many options available that, you know, you kind of have to grab them, rope them in, tell the story, and then move on to the next hook so that they keep watching as opposed to dragging out the one story for a very long period of time. Agnes Nixon once said, make them laugh, make them cry, make them wait. How does that reflect back to real life? Well, the first two I think are very prevalent. Hopefully you balance it out with more laughter than tears, but I think tears are important to grow emotionally, spiritually, to connect with the person. And and I don't mean tragic tears. I think tears could also be a positive release of emotions. And I think we all need that. Let them wait. I don't know. That that's, that's interesting. I think for storytelling, 100%. And no one was more the queen of storytelling than Agnes Nixon. She is the, the matriarch of this medium. One of, I know there were a couple of others in there, but for me personally, growing up, just not even understanding what she had created until I was part of her world and very small part is really mind blowing. That woman had the foresight way, way, way beyond the time period in which she introduced all of this. But it is true because if you if you expose a story too soon, or it's all about the anticipation. That's what makes the audience come back and want to watch the next day, the day after. Will they? Won't they? Will they? Won't they? So she kind of mastered that formula, and and I think it's something that still holds true today in terms of storytelling, and not just in soaps. I just think in anything. Any, any form of storytelling, you want to really, really make the audience want, want to root for something or someone. You've won a few Emmys along the way. Yeah. But I don't think you've ever had a chance to give an acceptance speech. I'm going to give you that opportunity, 60 seconds, and the music will play. <laughs> Would you like to take it right now, this opportunity on my podcast <laughs> To give your thank yous, remember to thank your husband and your mom and blah, 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 blah. The audience just um, stopped clapping. They're quieting down and action. (laughs) I'd like to thank anyone for this incredible honor of every, everybody who I worked with, the cast, the crew, the, 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 Ken Corday, Albert Alar, because I'm still at Days of Our Lives for guiding our show. Mom and dad for always believing in me. My husband, who I love you dearly. And... For those who tell you in life you can't do something, don't believe them. Do it anyway. Believe in yourself because dreams do come true. Thank you very much. That was perfect. I just have to add some applause. (laughs) (laughs) To wrap up this love fest, I go back to the basics with one final question. Do you believe in love? Of course I believe in love. Love is everywhere. I can't I was actually just thinking about this the other day as my mind goes all over the place. I can't imagine 
a person who has never experienced love or grief. I think these are the two ties that bind the human existence, don't you? I believe in love. Yeah, I think I do. <laughs> I've never thought about it, but yeah, yeah, I believe in the power of love and how love can um, change things for the good or bad, but mostly good. How can you not? It's what makes the world go round. Cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! That's your answer. No, that your answer is no, that your answer is so cheesy. Not that you believe in love, but that your answer was so cheesy. I absolutely believe in love. I believe that love is one of the greatest things that that we have in this world, and uh, I believe the ability of love to accomplish just about anything is something that we all need to keep in the back of our minds. Yes, I I do believe in love it's such a conundrum because so much has to come from within. And if you've been able to figure it out from within, then maybe you don't really need it from the outside, but it'd be sure nice to have. Everyone has to believe in love because without love, we'd be just, I don't know, just, just robots going through life love makes everything better relationships makes everything worthwhile and i'm not just talking about being in love but that certainly is is a plus but i think it's it's so important to feel connected to people and i think if anything this pandemic has taught us just that not having that connection really set us all back in different ways we end our shows the same way as always with a simple well it's not a question it's actually a statement to finish and here's how we end it. Tell me something good. Anything good? I love that. Okay. What's good? What's good? Believing, inspiration. Hopefully the pandemic is, is, is nearing because this, this two-year divide has been crippling. So something good is just believing that there is light at the other at the end of the tunnel and just keep going and pursuing because the minute we stop dreaming and pursuing, we just are mechanical essences of life. And and that's not a fun way to go through life. Just going through the motions, just keep trying. And whether you fail or not, at least, at least we're trying. And then that to me is the most positive thing we can do as people for each other, for the people who love us and for those who we love. Something good. I recently found the box of old Another World tapes and I stuck one in and it happened to be an episode, a great episode with Denise Alexander, where she, um, finds out that Reginald had been um, deceiving her about the identity of one of her kids, I think. And there's this great scene where she like um, throws him out of the house and they filmed it outside. And um, there was a scene where Reginald falls and and, um, she gets in the car with Michael and they're driving away. And um, she she tells Michael to stop because she wants, she's concerned that he fell. And, um, and then he, I think he yells out, Mary! <laughs> and, and she says, keep going. And then Michael puts his foot on the gas and drives away. And I, it just made me so happy to see that again. It was classic. So that, that was really good. Something good. That's so hard. Cause I feel like it needs to be significant enough. It doesn't, it can be something as simple as it's, above 10 degrees today in Pittsburgh. <laughs> That's something good. We've had a very, very cold. We've had like three snow delays this week. 
been a little crazy. We are at 16 degrees and oh. there's sun. Yes, that is something good. Well, you know, it's good that I am not possessed by the devil, that I have not been kidnapped and taken off to a deserted island somewhere by a criminal mastermind. It's good that I don't have a evil twin that I never knew about that has come back to take over my life. And it's good that um, no one's trying to kill me. Something good. Oh, gosh. Well, then I can't just think of something. Something good is that we're we're almost, I think, through the COVID darkness, and um, and I think through all of that, we've learned a lot about priorities and love and how wonderful the good stuff in life can be. So I think it's been a big eye opener for us, and I hope that we come out of this a happier, more connected people. We're going through some pretty crazy, extraordinary times right now. People are afraid to go outside. They seem to, uh, a lot of people seem to be medical experts on a lot of things that I didn't know they were expert about. Um, I think, you know, uh, try to understand that the other person is probably going through a really crappy time right now. And, um, you know, in the, in the immortal words of Reva Shane, try love. Thank you, John, Doug, Shannon, Amanda, Martha, Michael, and Sonia, my most guests ever in one episode, for sharing your good. No, no, for sharing your love. Next time on World Gone Good. That's where you find your voice. That's how you find your unique path is by being pushed into it. Because by nature, the easiest is just to follow what other people do and try to do it as well as they do. But, you know, if you can, if you get off of that path, it's much more difficult, but you will have something unique and something that's yours. Lisa, Katie, and August Paro turned their combined love for design and restoration into a Bronco-building empire. While their goal is an empire right now, it's one Bronco at a time. Their vision and drive, get it? Bronco is a car, I said drive. Shut up, you don't know me. Their vision and drive will inspire you to embrace your own passion and follow your own path. Until then, be good.